I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are here with episode 90, continuing that countdown. I promised magic number. I'm pulling down number 10. We're, we're on our way. Uh, just a, a quick reminder as we're getting started that we are a part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can find us both on our own feed on you know Apple, Spotify, everything, but also on the Pitcherless Fantasy Podcast feed along with in the deep and on the wire and hacks and jacks and all the other great shows that the pictureless podcast network brings to you. Uh, when you go find us, please leave us ratings and reviews. We love to see that. And of course you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Chad young. You can find Pete at Pete B baseball, and you can find the combined Chad and Pete, the show at keep or cut. Uh, always happy to take questions, get feedback here. What's what's working for you. What's not um, happy to talk about your keeper leagues, whatever you want to talk about, let us know. But today, Pete, we've got some uh, we've got some names that our listeners should be looking at, and at least based on some of the numbers we're seeing, they probably aren't looking at them right now. Yeah, we do. We, I, I like the way to put it. There's no real other way to quantify this smattering of names other than they are names. Um, but Chad and I have already had several drafts together, several auctions together, and these are targets that uh, we think, based on the early returns. Based on the early numbers, these are guys that I'm gonna we're gonna be targeting early in those fab processings, and you know, as as guys becomes IL eligible, and you can throw them on your IL, and you know, use that roster spot to add people. These are guys that we're gonna be looking at to uh, to add. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's funny. It's that's our theme today. It's just names. They're just guys who have names. <laughs> but the, the the thresholds we used here, um, we wanted to look for under appreciated players, under rostered players, and so the thresholds we set were. Less than 70% rostered on fan tracks and less than 30% rostered on auto new. Uh, part of the reason for that lower threshold on auto new is that there's a lot of drafts that haven't happened yet. I, I think this is just speculation on my part, but I think that at fan tracks, that's that their roster percentages of, of leagues that have drafted. It certainly looks mm -hmm. that way. Um, whereas at auto new, it's just of all leagues. And so leagues that haven't drafted, there's guys who are like, you know, 60 50 percent rostered because they're fernando tatis jr and there's a lot of leagues that haven't drafted yet and it's we're not adding any value by sitting here being like if you're looking for an underappreciated player that no one's heard of and isn't rostering yet you should think about fernando tatis jr have you heard of this guy <laughs> so we went a little bit the lower one there, a little bit deeper there yeah yeah the one that stood out to me that made me suggest that was uh barrios is a great example right yeah. like nobody wants to roster a 12 dollar barrios or whatever and i think the, yeah. the fantrax ones are kind of interesting because fantrax is just so customizable mm -hmm. their their ability to have like a farm system and stuff that inflates the the roster percentage of prospects like a ton um whereas other formats cbs espn yahoo are, are more redraft focused so yeah those prospects aren't rostered in as many leagues Yes, agreed. So before we get into this, um, I want to I'm going to share a tweet I saw this week, actually a thread I saw this week that I, I don't want to. Well, trying to decide whether I should say this influenced or informed my thinking for this exercise or whether I should say this like reinforced and, and sort of expressed in better words, something I've always thought was true, but haven't ever been great at expressing. So this is from uh, Josiah Tindor 
who you can find on Twitter at the tin door, the tin door, pretty straightforward. Um, I, I can't tell if, I, I don't know who this person is. I can't tell from his Twitter profile, if he writes anywhere, anything like that. He does talk about, you know, fantasy baseball. He's got a lot of interesting tweets about fantasy baseball from what I can tell. But yesterday he puts out a tweet thread and the first tweet says straight to the point this morning, ignore season long projections after about round 15. I love projections for roughly half for roughly the first half of my draft. I'm buying the best projected stats that I'm buying the best projected stats left that fit my evolving roster needs position agnostic for the most part past that goes into a second tweet. The value of season long projections is directly proportional to the odds. You'll actually be starting that player all year. So what he goes on to there is talks about some numbers from uh, the process by Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner ball that uh, Tanner bell that anywhere from 25 to 60% of your, your starting fantasy weeks come from the waiver wire. And, and the point he's making here, and I think it's a really good point is that once you get past and he acknowledges later that round 15 is sort of, just, you know, putting a stake in the ground. It doesn't have to be round 15, but later in your draft, the guys you're picking, you're very likely to cut at some point and you don't necessarily need them to provide value for you. And so what you should be looking at at that point is what in the, the way he says it is, oh, what could go right? That's what you should be asking yourself late in the draft is not like, oh, this guy's projected to go, you know, hit 10 home runs and 15 stolen bases. And like that, that could help my team. Like, but like, where could this guy break out? And he was using Carlos Estevez as an example where like he's way more valuable, valuable than his projections because one of two things is going to happen with Estevez. And we've talked about him in the show, so I'm using him as an example here. He's going to be the closer and be a guy who should have been going in the first, let's say, 10 rounds because he gets 35 saves. Or he's not going to be the closer and you're going to cut him anyways. And so the, the, his projection isn't really sort of what matters. Now, that is not to say I ignore projections. I don't go that far. I always am using projections. But at this point, whether it's late in drafts, whether it's your first set of fab, anything like that, to me, that's a big focus in, in these guys is what could go right? Who could I pick up that not just will be like, oh, this is a good guy to have at the end of my roster because he plays three positions and will help me out, although that is valuable. But who's a guy who could become a regular in my lineup if everything breaks the right way. And so, I don't know, Pete, does that, does that resonate with you? Is that sort of how you're thinking about this too? Yeah, it really resonates with me. I mean, I, I we're, we're in the industry, right? So I don't mean to, I hope this doesn't come across as besmirching anybody else in the industry, but I'm just not a big projections guy as it is. Um, I think projections are really like, here's the, I don't know, 50th percentile outcome. And just that's never how I construct my team, Right. Um, sometimes you get crazy ones when you look at the steamer projections for like Masataka Yoshida and Ronald Acuna Jr. It's like, well, that's not a 50% outcome, but like most of the time, take a player like Tristan Cassis, um, you know, a guy who I'm getting a, a lot of shares of this year. Like if you're projecting 500 plate appearances, like don't also project that he's going to hit like 18 home runs with right. 57 RB. Like if the Red Sox let him get 500 plate appearances, it's because he's telling Bobby Talback and everybody else in the team, like, sorry, you're not playing because I'm blossoming into a star. And so because the potential range of outcomes with those players that go really past round 15, I kind of like the way that um, that you put it there, it's just so wide. They're not really helpful at that point. So, yeah, that that resonates with me a lot. 
Yeah, and I think Cassis is a, a great example of this. The example he uses is people taking uh, Gene Segura over Oswald Peraza. He's like, yeah, I get it. The projections tell you that Segura is more likely to be a solid bench piece, but like, which one of these guys has the opportunity to be a game changer right. for you? It's Peraza. And I think Cassis, I mean, if you look at like, I'm looking at uh, NFBC ADP, Cassis, and this is, I'm not filtering this at all. It's just because I'm not trying to do anything specific here, but his, his ADP is 232.9. I think it's got, gotten better recently, but it's had a great spring. Regardless, we're talking about a, you know, 20th round pick and a 12 teamer, um, a little earlier, obviously, in a 15 teamer. But he's going after, I'm trying to think of it like a, another first baseman who's going earlier. Not a first baseman, but like JD Martinez is going earlier and he's a util guy, which at that point is you're probably not drafting your first baseman, then you're probably drafting a util guy. Um, he's going after, like, well, let's see who else. There was another name. First baseman all going much earlier. Um, he's going like 60-some picks after Josh Bell. So, like, I like Bell. I like Martinez. They are solid players. But if you're asking me, like, I sort of – I feel like at this point, like, we know what J.D. Martinez is. We know what he's going to do. He's probably going to play part-time. He's very useful. That's fine. But, like, Cassis is the guy who could be a breakout, right? He's the guy who, like, yes, it is entirely possible that by May or June we're like, oh, boy – we were wrong about him. We shouldn't have been drafting him so much. But it's also possible in May or June, you're penciling him in as a keeper for next year because his value is so good because of how he's performing. So that's sort of the, the mindset I went into with this was this idea of like, I'm not going to, I'm not looking for the guy who just like, oh, this guy's like a really solid all around player and he's going to really help my team, you know, fill in those games at second base and shortstop. I, I was much more interested in like, who is someone who I think if things break right, Within a month, I could just be plugging them into my lineup every single day and feeling good about it. So that's where I was. I think with that, let's start going through the names. And Pete, why don't you why don't you pick one of your names to go with first? Who do you want to talk about first? Uh, sure. Um, uh, Josh Lowe is a target for me. Um, he's 24% rostered on fan track. So he more than kind of fit the bill for this. This is a guy who was never really like an elite elite prospect, but he gained a lot of steam um, after his great, I want to say it was 2021 season in the minors um, where he was a, a stolen base and power threat. He is the brother of Nate Lowe, by the way, um, who the Rays traded away. Uh, he his big issue has been strikeouts, um, especially whiffs, like just swinging and missing. Um, he's a guy who can make solid contact on contact, but he's a swing and miss player. So it stuck out to me that like, yeah, OK, I don't want to go down that road of <laughs> complaining about spring. It's just spring training, but here are the numbers, but blah, blah, blah. But he only has four strikeouts in 24 uh, plate appearances so far in spring training. And for a player like that, that is very significant because what are the Rays going to want to see? They're going to want to see that he can cut down the strikeout rate because everything else with Josh Lowe is pretty good. Um, he's posted, like I said before, like that 2030 season uh, in the minor leagues. And if you kind of ignore the fact that he had a 30% strikeout rate last year um, in AAA, which obviously again is, is a problem that hopefully he's addressing he was still pretty awesome in AAA last year through over 300 plate appearances. So I'm not just going to you know dump a stat line here, but it was a WRC plus of 151 through 351 plate appearances at AAA. Yes, it did come with a strikeout rate over 30%. Yes, that carried over into the major leagues. And what didn't carry over into the major leagues was the double-digit walk rate. So he's he's had some trouble yeah, adjusting power, to major league pitching. Right? 
he had a 20% home run per fly ball rate with, with 14 home runs and 351 AAA plate appearances. In 198 MLB plate appearances, he hit two home runs with a 4.4% home run per fly ball rate. Right. Right. And this is this is not to throw cold water on low because actually I like low. I'm I, I agree with this one. But that is like he put up that line in triple A because he was walking and he was he was hitting the ball hard. And when he came up, the strikeout stuck around and, and the hard contact sort of dried up. And I think that probably influenced the walk rate. It's like, can't punish me. I'm coming in the zone. So um, I, I'd be interested to see. I wonder if I can pull up his I don't know if I can get minor league zone percentage from a plate discipline perspective from my experience fan graphs is the best for stuff like that but i don't think they have that but also look at the rays outfield it's not amazing like i i know that like the rays are going to somehow win like 90 games and be in the wild card but i just i don't understand how it's going to happen with how the current roster is constructed especially the offense and so low might be a necessity for them right now roster resource has him slated to start the year in triple a but if he continues to impress this spring um i could see him getting a role in that outfield or just take that dh spot and kind of run with it um so he's he's a late target he's like a poor man spencer torkelson like he's not a very exciting post-type sleeper whereas spencer torkelson is a really exciting post-type sleeper especially with the exit velocities he's posting this spring but like if you miss out on the post-hype guys here's one that like he could be the best of all of them, especially yeah. with that speed component. Yeah, and I think lo- looking at at low and at the at the Rays outfield and DH situation. I mean, the Rays have a there's a whole situation with the Rays, right? Because their lineup has a bunch of guys who could be good, um, but their outfield right now, like Arozarena is their left fielder, and there's probably literally nothing Randy Arozarena could do to lose that job. Like he could have a right. terrible year, and they're just going to keep putting him out there because he's been that good for them and. Manny Margot in right field is, has been good on and off. He had a really nice run last year before he got hurt, but he has been getting hurt and he really hasn't been consistently good. Jose Siri in center field, I think is a, I think he's an interesting player. I think he's a better, I think he's a better player than most fantasy players realize because I think he's a better real baseball player than he is a fantasy player. I also think that the, like the Rays went out and got him because they value him. And so I think he's probably pretty locked in. But, you know, we could see Harold Ramirez at DH, I don't think has some like death grip on that job. And then even like, like Itzhak Paredes and Jonathan Aranda, who both of whom I like, are probably sharing third base in some way, which moves Yandy Diaz to first base. And I don't think Yandy's getting displaced, but those guys struggling and making room for Ramirez to go to first base and low to take over DH. Like, there's a lot of failure points that could come up. And I think Lowe is in, in – he could be next in line at any of those spots. And, and I think, right. you know, he's been leading off in spring training. He's been leading off in part because Yandy Diaz hasn't been there. He probably – like, that is that is Yandy Diaz's spot. He will lead off. He is an incredible on-base guy. Like, he should lead off. What it says to me isn't that they're like, Josh Lowe is our future leadoff hitter, although maybe they think that. I think what it says is Josh Lowe is a guy who we want batting as much as possible in the spring. They want him getting as many plate appearances as he can. They want him up at the top of the lineup. So he's constantly coming up and that tells me they want to see him and they want to see what he can do, which means he has a real chance to, to make an, to make a statement, right? Like the, you, you don't put a guy in that leadoff spot in these games that don't matter unless it's because you want to see what they can do and, you, and they have a real opportunity to, to earn something. And 
I, I don't think it's likely he breaks camp with the team just because of the way just the way they're structured. I don't think they'll have everyday plate appearances for him to start the season, and therefore I think he's likely to start in the minors. But I think that they're they're treating him like he's next in line, is what I'll say. And I, I would add to that that as a left-handed bat, they're outfielders right now. Randy Rosarena is a righty. Manny Margot is a righty. Jose Siri is a righty. Their bench bats that are left-handed are Luke Rayleigh, who is not stopping Josh Lowe. Jonathan Aranda, who's really more of an infielder, although I guess he could play second and push Brandon Lau to the outfield. We'll have to see. And Taylor Walls, who I think is just a bench guy. Like, they're not... If they decide they need another left-handed bat in the lineup on a regular basis, Josh Lowe is the guy. And, and so anybody who needs to be platooned, he could very easily be stepping in. Yeah, I think he's... It... It's not doesn't sound right because right now as cons- currently constructed he's not there but he really is in control of his own destiny if he yeah. hits and he cuts the strikeout rate even think about how valuable he could be if he just cuts that strikeout rate from thirty two percent to just twenty five percent right it's easy for me to say right I'm sure it's gonna be a lot more difficult for him than it is for me but yeah. if he could just do that right like just do that, that now just, yeah just just, just do it half, guy. just cut the strikeout strike rate cut the whiffs. Um, but there's, there's upside here that's uh, at a 24% roster rate. And that's gotta be like the most rostered he is in any f- format. If he's 24% on fan tracks, he's definitely lower everywhere else. I would, uh, yeah. scoop him up. Outfield's too thin. Scoop him up. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's jump to our next player and I want to stay in the Rays organization. Cause why not? The guy I want to talk about with the Rays is Curtis Mead. Uh, I found Mead as 60% rostered at fan tracks. That's sort of on the, the high end. And Mead, for me, this is just a case of, like, I just love this profile. I love it. Because you look at his his minor league track record, and he is consistently striking out at a, at a low rate. So going back to, like, 2019, he had a 13.1% strikeout rate in rookie ball, 14.2 in A ball, and, and then 16.3 in high A in 2021. He'd made the jump all the way from high A to triple A very briefly in 2021 and then was in double a to start 2022 and double a 18.3% in AAA last year, just 85 plate appearances, but 20%. Like he is, he's keeping that strikeout rate into the high teens, maybe up to the low twenties. And he's walked his last year. He walked 10.2% of the time in double a and 12.9% of the time in AAA. So, you know, talking about a guy who like, even if you assume, okay, strikeout rate's going to go up when he comes up, walk rate will probably come down a little bit. If he's walking like 9% of the time and striking out like 21% of the time, that, that's pretty good. And he showed good power. He has a um, a current 50 score on his game power from fan graphs, but with a potential of 60. And he's got a good hit tool. So good hit tool, good plate discipline, ability to tap into some power, he is a uh, he is not a good fielder, <laughs> so he's gonna have to figure out sort of where he where he fits. But I think he can hit just about he can hit well enough to play just about anywhere. And so Mead is another guy. I don't expect him to be on their opening day roster. I think that he is, you know, 
if low is next in line, Mead is either is option one B to, to Lowe's one A. They're they're very close, I think, in terms of who gets the next shot. Who gets that shot may depend in some part at what the position is. Like if they if they decide Manuel Margot is not working out and they need a right fielder, that's not going to be Mead. That'll be low. If they decide they need a DH, it might be Mead instead of low. But I, I just I really like what he brings to the table. I'm a big fan of guys who have this sort of good plate discipline, good power. Like that's, that is the profile I want to see from a minor leaguer. And that's what he's got. And I think he, he just, you know, you brought up low, he might be second behind low, whatever the case may be. But like, again, it, it, it just echoes what we were just talking about with the race. There's a lot of spots in the Rays lineup where things are going to get switched around. I mean, first of all, it's the Rays, So we know they're going to do that anyway, but there's a lot of weak points or potential weak points in that lineup that could propel Curtis Mead into the major leagues. And I was looking at the projections for him this year because, you know, we were talking about projection systems and it's hard to ignore it. Now all of the projection systems from zips to steamer, everything is loaded up onto fan graphs. And although you might not really be enamored with any of the numbers, they all kind of agree that he's going to be a slightly above average bat. And they are projecting for an odd dip in his BABIP. He's posted some impressive BABIPs in the minor leagues through yeah. over 200 plate appearances at high A. His BABIP was 309. Um, over 200 plate appearances at double A, the Babbitt was 342. And yet the projection systems have them all at, you know, between 280 and 290. There's only so much of that he can control, but he does seem to be shaping up into a little bit of a line drive hitter, um, which creates this nice safe profile when you factor in the walk rates and everything else. So he does seem like one of the rookies who, you know, rookies have been such like either massive hits or massive busts lately. He seems like one who could actually be, dare I say it, in the middle, who could just be a little yeah. safe. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, and yeah, the, the line drive rates. I mean, he's barely consistently been over twenty percent in the minors in AAA or in, in yeah in AAA last year. He had a forty percent line drive rate. It was seventeen point two percent in AA. You know, that's sort of uh, the the seventeen point two percent. He also he is not a big fly ball guy, and uh, that that may impact the the power projection. He's got enough power to carry high home run per fly ball rates. And so maybe he's a guy who should be spending some time in AAA trying to elevate a little more. But like his fly ball rate last year was 27.3% in AAA. That's not that's not very high. 40.5% in AA is, is better, but I think he could potentially benefit from being even a little higher than that. So um, something to watch with him. But yeah, I, I'm a fan. I think that he'll get a shot before too, too long. So... Let's uh, let's do let's do one more before we take a break. And Pete, who do you want to talk about next? Sure. So uh, I guess I'll stick with my theme of young outfielders um, and jump to the Red Sox, a guy who I was beginning to think is just going to be a bust, maybe a trade candidate to just bring in a bullpen piece or something like that. But Jaron Duran has uh, switched up his swing. Uh, there was a good article that summarized it on Fangraphs by Chris Gilligan. Um, we're Basically, Duran has made this change where his hands are closer where he wants them to end up being. He had a very busy swing um, when he broke into the major leagues. And it also involved a high leg kick um, that that has seemed to have disappeared. And so far, it has yielded quality results. Now, what's tough with that is like it is just spring training. And I bring that up because not to be annoying and bring it up all the time. But with Jaron Duran, he's proven to us that he can smash minor league pitching. Like this is not new. Like... If, if he does end up starting the year at AAA, he's, don't be surprised when he's hitting 290 and he's hitting homers and he's stealing bases. The issue has been translating that to the major leagues. But when I see a tangible change 
um, and something that has given him confidence. And the article talked a little bit about how, like, it's something that I guess you know, can get lost in the fantasy stratosphere where, like, these guys are real people. And Duran was somewhat highly touted. I mean, by the time he reached the major leagues, everybody knew his name for a big organization, playing in the outfield, and he was dreadful, especially with the strikeouts. You could just imagine the mental drain that that is on a player. Then there was the whole vaccine situation where like he was playing his best ball, but he had to miss a series in Toronto. He's dealt with some injuries, and I think it just played a toll on him. He seems to be in a good space right now. He's playing for Team Mexico in the World Baseball Classic, and he's changed his swing. And he's not really a uh, he's not a pull hitter necessarily, but he is a lefty, so maybe that that helps a little bit with the uh, the shift being banned. Maybe more balls in play from him with a better swing. Um, we could see a much higher batting average floor. That we the maybe expect brings the ability to spread out the defense a little bit and create like just making it harder right. to get to the ball, even on the infield. Like even if they get to the ball that he hits in the, the hole, making it harder to get there, making the throw a little bit harder, like all that stuff puts a little bit of added pressure on the defense. And when you've got the speed he brings, that's those are hits. right. They can't. It's hit. not just Corbin Carroll speed. I mean, it, I mean, it's not quite Cor- Corbin Carroll speed, but yeah. it is like potentially one of the the five or 10 fastest players in baseball speed. And that's the whole change in his swing is just getting to the ball, putting more balls in play. It's not, he didn't change his swing to generate more power to lift balls in the air. He's trying to put more balls in play. And so a very limited sample size this spring, but it's worked add in Chad. I don't know if you've seen just how poor Adam Duvall has been this spring. Um, the last I checked, he was, I think, Oh, for 13 with eight strikeouts. Um, he did get a hit or maybe it was even a Homer the other day. And like I said, a a little over a month ago on this podcast, I said, I think there's a decent chance Adam Duvall is washed. This isn't a victory lap on that, obviously. And this isn't like a, a, if if I end up being right, it wasn't the greatest call of all time. I mean, it's Adam Duvall, but the Red Sox could have a need in that outfield. Um, and if Duran is improved, why not give him a shot? Yeah. And I'm looking, I mean, you mentioned like the, the strikeouts were a problem for him and, I, you know, small sample, like spring is always weird sample sizes and he has literally 10 plate appearances. So like, let's not get too carried away, but in 10 plate appearances, he has one strikeout. He has three extra base hits and four walks. That's a, anytime you're getting three times as many extra base hits and four times as many walks as you're getting strikeouts. Like that's a good sign. And again, it is 10 plate appearances. I am not trying to sit here and tell you that there's anything like, you know, he's fixed. Everything's great. But like, you got to make some gambles here. And we talked at the beginning of this about like, this is your opportunity to, to pick guys late or pick guys off the wire where the question is what could go right? Like what could go right for Duran is maybe the swing change is what he needed. He's got things fixed. He's going to put the ball in play more. And all of a sudden he's a like, 10 to 15 home run, 15 to 25 stolen base guy with a decent average that you can plug into your outfield every day. Yeah. Is that the likely outcome? Probably not, but I'm not sure that you should be focused on what the likely outcome is. I think you should be focused on realistic things that could go right. And this is, this is a realistic thing that could go right. And it's, you know, to echo it again, it's yes, it's just 10 plate appearances, but that's not what we're basing drafting him on we're basing in this on this real change that like is not something that just people notice it's something that he's talking about feeling like a better hitter and we just we have to put some stock into that and to like put it into perspective like you were like i haven't filtered this but i I don't really think duran has moved up too much in drafts a player like bubba thompson is almost going 200 picks earlier in drafts than jaron duran 
why? I mean, I, I don't yeah. I don't necessarily think Thompson is safe for playtime. He's just not a good hitter, whereas Duran has made a real change. So if you're looking for speed late in drafts, good luck. But I think Duran and Josh Lowe, to talk about them both here, are pretty good options. But Duran way more so than Lowe when it comes to speed. Yeah, I think it makes sense. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep going through our list of underappreciated players. All right, welcome back. We've already talked about Josh Lowe, Curtis Mead, and Jaron Duran. Let's see, where do I want to go from here? I guess since you talked about your your hometown player, I'll go talk about one of my hometown players, and that is Bo Naylor. Um, although you actually live in the Boston area, and I don't actually live in Cleveland. so. But regardless, <laughs> Guardians are my team. I want to talk about Bo Naylor, and so I'm going to because it is our show, and we get to talk about whoever we want. Uh, so Naylor is, so start with this. Naylor has already been sent down, right? He has been optioned to the AAA team. He's playing for team Canada in the world baseball classics. He's doing that now, but like before he left for the world baseball classic, the team told him you're starting in AAA. Fine. He is 64% rostered on fan tracks. Here is my hot take on Naylor. I'll start by saying, I don't think Naylor is the best catcher prospect out there right now. I don't think that's a hot take. I think, But if you tell me that in 2025 drafts, okay, 2025, so that next season, season after, the number one catcher in the draft is somebody from the current crop of prospects, Naylor is the most likely guy to be that guy. More than Alvarez, more than Andy Rodriguez. Like, I think he is more like... Those guys might have a higher floor. They might, I think they're, they're probably more talented baseball players. But Bo Naylor is the catcher with the chance to become JT Real Muto. 20 home runs, 20 steals, high average. Like you look at his numbers the last couple of years. 2021, he got 356 plate appearances in double A. He had 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases in, like I said, 356 plate appearances. He also had a 188 average that year. He really struggled to get on base. Part of that was a 255 BAPIP. Part of that was a 31.5% strikeout rate. Fast forward, 2022 gets his second look at double A. His strikeout rate in 220 plate appearances at double A in 2022, after being 31.5%, was 20.9%. That is a huge improvement. He also walked 20.5% of the time in double a that year. Then he got his first taste of triple a, the strikeout rate jumped back up, but it only went up to 25.9%, which is still acceptable. And at a 12.8% walk rate in 2022, he stole 20 bases and hit 21 home runs in a total of 510 plate appearances across those two levels. Then got his first taste of MLB and, and struggled. Like he, he got you know, struggled in eight plate appearances across five games. Like he didn't do very much, but still that that's sort of where he is. This is the guy of this group of, of prospect catchers who, in my mind, like he put up a 2020 season last year, he could do it again. He has shown the ability to make meaningful improvements and meaningful strides in his game. The Guardians have talked about the fact that like his ability to develop, being coachable, making changes and adjustments that they, they've been very happy with. And, you know, I, I think that if you're, if you're looking at just this season, He's probably up. He'll be up in the first half. I would suspect May, June. I think there's a chance he comes up and starts off sort of as the the 40% guy in a 60-40 split with Zunino. 
But once he's up, he could take over that job. And once he takes over that job, he could easily be on a 2020 pace the rest of the way. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe he goes to AAA and the strikeout rate spikes again and like things just aren't going well. But I, I'm I'm definitely buying in on him. I would also note, by the way, with those those 20 strikeout or 20 strikeouts, those 20 uh, stolen bases last year, he was only caught four times. He has stolen, let's see, 30, 42 bases across his minor league career and been caught 10 times. So he's not just a guy who's, this isn't just a guy in the minors, like stealing at volume, which sometimes happened. Like he is a good base runner. He is a good base dealer. He has very good speed for a catcher. Like if, and when he's up, he will be running. Um, And so I just think like, you know, is, is Francisco Alvarez more likely to become like a 30 home run threat? Yes, for sure. Is he the better hitter of the two? Yes, for sure. But from a fantasy value perspective, I'm not sure that that'll be the case. And so I think Naylor should be should be getting more attention than he is. I agree with that. I, I took Naylor in a few leagues um, at the start of draft season, especially in two catcher leagues, hoping that he would get uh, some playtime early in the season like you're predicting. And I, ha- I have a hard time believing he won't because – Mike Zunino is not going to stop anybody. I think it's worth pointing out that the catcher in front of Naylor right now, if we're not counting Cam Gallagher, um, had a WRC plus last year of 43, had a swing strike rate above 19%, and had a strikeout rate of, I was just looking at it, uh, a lot. Let's leave it at that, 37.4%. Like, if Cleveland needs any kind of offense, like just even if Bo Naylor disappoints, he's going to be better than that because he's not going to be striking out at that rate. He's going to be putting more balls in plays, a more athletic player. Um, and that is something that could jet start a team. And if they were a team that's not going to be in contention, then I'd say maybe not, you know, ride out the season with Zunino most of the time. But this is a team that's trying to win. So if Zunino yeah. is, is just that poor, 32-year-old catcher who can't hit his way out of a paper bag, that is, that's not stopping anybody. So I, Naylor is exciting. Uh, to me, Zunino is a placeholder, right? They The, the reason they went for Zunino was because they felt like he'd be fine. He could settle into the backup role once Naylor's ready. And maybe they, you know, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and he he goes on a power tear like he did a couple of years ago. Like, sure, take a shot at that. But he is not there to, he's not there to hold the job long-term. He's there to just buy some time while Naylor gets a little bit more seasoning, which I, th- I think he could use. So I, I'm, I'm very excited about what Bo Naylor brings. I think that he'll be bringing it before too long. So let's jump back to your side of the spreadsheet, Pete. Who do you want to talk about next? Sure. And, and uh, because I, I'm going to start uh, do two catchers before I get to my pitcher, um, I do want to say, because we're a keeper league, like catchers don't really get pushed up. Prospect catchers don't really get pushed up even in keeper drafts. So Bo Naylor is, is essentially free. And there's going to be a lot of value there if he does turn into a, a Dalton Varsho or JT Real Muto type player. Um, and that's part of the reason why in my keeper leagues, like I, I will maybe, maybe if it's a deep, like, you know, new type format, right. You know, 40 roster spots or, or something like that, where I can just tuck them away. I like these two catchers. I'm just going to do one right now, but the, the first one's going to be Nick Fortes, who actually I like a lot more than my other option. Who I'm going to be very quick on um, Nick. And I, I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Fortes of the uh, Miami Marlins. I've liked him for a long time. He's only 26 years old, first of all, uh, but the underlying numbers for him have always been quite 
exciting. Uh, last year, max EV of 108, that's that's fine. Um, but he has a real line drive kind of launch angle and profile. Um, the average exit velocity last year is 89. That was down from the year before at 91. But he hits a lot of balls in the air. And he doesn't strike out like he, he's got that typical catcher like, all right, when he makes contact, he's going to hit the crap out of the ball, but he's only going to make contact every now and then. No, this guy really doesn't strike out that much, making him exciting. It is Jacob Stallings in front of him, who is a good catcher, but older um, and, and certainly, you know, kind of like Mike Zunino, not really going to block anybody from playing. Not that Nick Fortes is of the bone nailer caliber, but Nick Fortes, even if he doesn't displace Jacob Stallings, he played a whole ready for this. He did play one inning at first base last year um, and he did DH quite a bit. So I could see him, you know, being if he's hitting, he's going to move around uh, from between first base utility and catcher. So while Fortes doesn't really have the upside of like a bow nailer and he's probably not the most exciting pick and I do expect him to exceed his you know, value in terms of ADP. I don't expect him to like blow it out of the water. He's not going to be like a top 100 pick next year or something crazy like that. But if you are in those deeper two catcher formats, I think he could basically be this year's Jonah Heim, which again, probably doesn't sound that exciting. But when you consider Jonah Heim was, was a 50 run, 50 RBI, 16 homer catcher who didn't kill you in batting average in those two catcher formats, he was so, so important. He almost saved me in TGFBI. And I think Fortes could be better than that. He's got a lot more pop in his bat. So if he meets the 400 plate appearances that Heim was able to get last year, I think he could put forward a a pretty solid season so much so that we've seen way less talented catchers become top 10 catchers for a season in fantasy, just because they got the play time and things kind of fell right. And I think that could definitely happen with Fortes. Yeah. My, my, my issue, I guess with Fortes is that I don't really, it seems to me that the Marlins don't really believe in him. And, and the reason I say that is just, you know, you mentioned they got Stallings in front of them. Stallings is not some like star breakout, like got to see what you have in him kind of catcher, right? I mean, he's, he's 33 years old. He's perfectly serviceable. He's not going to create some great trade market by having a great first half. And like, and he's not so good that you're like, look, if we're going to compete, we need, we, we can't afford to give up the catcher spot. Like they're very much in a spot right now where if I were running the Marlins and I believed Nick Fortes had a future, he'd be my everyday catcher. He'd be my starter because he's 26. You know, you've got to see what you've got in him. Like you're not holding him back to play service time games, something like that. He's on the major league roster. So like, I just the the fact that they've got him pinned in as the second catcher behind a, a perfectly fine but unexciting guy, some that, that that gives me some concern about like, do the Marlins even believe this guy is good? And now, maybe they do, and maybe like by the end of spring training, we'll be like, oh, he's the starter. We didn't realize it, but like he's taken over. Maybe they believe he's good, and they just think he needs some more work, and they're they're hoping they can turn Stallings into a trade asset. Like I I don't know, but. That's like everything you said about him is right. I, I totally see the like, you know, solid catcher who, when things go right for him over the course of a season with 400 plate appearances could crack the top 10 because catcher is not that deep. I just, I just have this, this, like this sense that the Marlins are signaling it out to us that this guy isn't good and doesn't really need much playing time. And that to me is a little bit concerning. I, I don't, so I don't think that's the case. 
I think part of it is, I mean, we saw this in Boston a lot with guys like Lester and Beckett where you get your personal catcher and your guy that you're like really, really comfortable with. And Jacob Stallings caught every single inning for the reigning NL Cy Young. So like, even if Nick Fortes is really good, like if that's who Alcantara is comfortable with and that's the guy that people are paying a C and that's who he wants catching him, he's going to be listed as, as yeah. the C1. I don't I know guess, if that means like, that they don't like Fortes or if it's just more like, well, we got two catchers. We can't have it just be Fortes. Stallings is good with our ace, so we're going to keep him around for another season. So I, I get that, but I think if like if that were the case, then then do what the what the Dodgers did with Kershaw and, and Barnes, right? Like if Sandy Alcantara wants Stallings to be his catcher, fine. Make Fortes the starter. He won't start opening day. Okay, so maybe he's not the starter because he doesn't start opening day. But he starts the next four. And and then when Alcantara's back in the mound, Stallings can get back behind the plate and take his day as the backup. Like, I don't know. I think I, we could see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. I, I'd be okay. surprised if it did. I, like last year, it might have been, you know, he's, he's not, he was still young, right? I mean, it was what his age 25 season. So with yeah. Stallings now being 36, going on 37, he had a terrible year at the plate last year that might be where Stallings' career is headed. And it's it, if anything, it's encouraging to me that it doesn't look like they brought in somebody else no, to compete for that not. third spot. The they one thing that was a little discouraging for Fortes' playtime, um, and I guess factors into to drafting him, is they did sign Yuli Gurriel. So any hope of yeah. Fortes getting some time at first base, that that's going to be hurt a little bit. But um, I think at this point, Fortes is a better hitter than both of those guys. So um, we'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I think so too. I just, I, w- I would bet, if I were if I were setting an over under on Fortes's plate appearances right now, I'd be setting it like closer to three hundred than four hundred, and that to me like and and that's entirely based not on talent but on what the Marlins seem to be doing, and that's that's just that's my concern. But now we're getting into me trying to project what the Marlins are thinking, which is <laughs> probably not a thing I should be wasting time on. So with that, let's move on to someone who who isn't a catcher because I have no more catchers on my list. So I've got to pick someone else. Uh, who do I want to talk about next? I'm going to do a boring one. I know I said before I want, you know, what could go right. And now I'm saying I'm picking someone boring. But I'm <laughs> picking someone who's boring because of what I think could go right. So just bear with me here. The boring name I'm picking, who is 10.8% rostered in auto new. And I, I have put my money where my mouth is. He is on at least one of my auto new rosters, which means he is more than 10% rostered on my teams, uh, is Josh Donaldson. And I know it's Ooh. easy to be like, yeah, fair enough. It's a, that's, that is a, uh, a completely fair reaction to Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson last year in 546 plate appearances. So basically a full-time role, right? He's not playing every, every day. He's had injury issues. He's older or whatever. Put up 3.95 points per game for auto new points leagues. That is bad. I acknowledge that's bad. 2021, and again, basically a full season of playing time, he put up 5.4 points per game. He was 5.07 in 2020. He was 6.55 in 2019. He was 5.96. Well, 2018, he was 5.22 with Toronto and then came to Cleveland for a bit. It was 5.96. That was in a shortened amount of time because of injury. The point of all this is he's had one bad year. Right now, it's his most recent year, and he is 37 years old. So, I don't want to. I don't want to ignore the fact that he he could just be done. It is entirely possible that he is just done. 
there isn't a lot when I go look at his his performance last year that makes me say like, no, he'll be fine. Like his strikeout rate was a career high last year. Other than you know, he had a 34 plate appearance, cup of coffee back in 2010 before his full rookie season. Other than that, highest strikeout rate of his career, second lowest walk rate of his career. The only time he had lower walk rate than that was in 2012, which was his actual rookie season. Now, I will note that strikeout rate was 27.1%, which is not terrible. It's not good, terrible. And the walk rate was 9.9%. So even in a year where he wasn't scaring anyone, he was no threat at all, he still drew walks almost 10% of the time. He had a an 11.5% home run for fly ball rate. Again, the worst since his rookie year. Like there are there are lots of things that have been trending the wrong direction. I I, I will acknowledge that. It just is what it is. This is purely a bet on he's had injury issues. If he is healthy, like the Yankees have said he is their third baseman. They have said he's going to get a shot. He still projects. Like his projection, I know we talked about, you know, don't get too caught up in the projections, which I agree with, but his projections are all like 107, 108, 110-ish WRC plus, which is a well above average performance. And if that's a guy who I can plug on my bench, have as a potential starting third baseman, especially in leagues, like in a league where you don't get one of those elite third basemen, because there aren't that many of them. I really like the possibility that he could be a very solidly above average hitter for a third baseman who puts up good power numbers, who puts up a good on base percentage because he can still draw a walk, who sees some, you know, a dead cat bounce in that, that strikeout rate, bringing it back down a bit. Like there's just enough little things that could go right. And it doesn't take a lot of them for him to be a guy that you're very happy plugging in as your everyday third baseman. And that's ignoring the fact that if he actually fully rebounds, he could be a top, probably not top five third baseman, but top seven, top eight third baseman. Like, do I think that's super likely? No, but it's certainly within the range of possibilities. I think the league where I have him, there is a very good chance that he is regularly going in and out of my lineup on, on days where, where guys are hurt, guys are getting days off. Like, I think he'll be at third base, be at util for me on occasion. And I think there's a possibility that he could end up as my starting third baseman at some point because his like he is an incredibly talented player. <laughs> we know that. And I, I don't know. I, I think he should be, I think he should be rostered more often. You can basically pick him up for a buck. The league where I have him is league one, which is an on base percentage league, which helps him even more because he, like I said, he still can draw a walk. And I'm looking at that league and like, I have Alex Bregman in that league, but if Bregman gets hurt or needs time off or something like that, Donaldson's, a, I think a decent option behind him. I, I like the upside. I like the upside on Josh Donaldson at the $1 he'll cost you. Yeah. I think I, that puts it well, right? It, he's free. I think that's worth pointing out to start because I, I'm not nearly as big of a fan of Josh Donaldson. It, it really boils down to two things other than the obvious that I can't stand the guy and he's on the Yankees and all that. But um, number one, I worry about the playtime, which sounds crazy because he's getting paid so much money. But I mean, they barely have room. They don't have room for DJ LeMahieu right now, who I'm all in on and I think is a is a better hitter at this point in their careers than Josh Donaldson. I think DJ LeMahieu has proven that when he's been healthy. His issue has been health. Don Donaldson's issue has been he sucked, at least last year. 
on the other side, and, and you've got Volpe coming as well. So if you get Peraza at shortstop, Glaver, Glaver at second, Rizzo at first, where's Volpe going to go if he does get called up? Where Again, where is DJ LeMayu going to play um, if Stanton's DHing and all that stuff? But also, I, and I, I bet you could predict this. This is always where I look with older players who look like they might be washed up. What are they doing against fastballs? And Josh Donaldson, if I'm going to ignore 2020, um, because he played 28 games in the shortened season. So I'm going to ignore that season. We just look at his batting average, the unexciting stat of batting average against fastballs. In 2015, he hit 340 against fastballs. In 2016, 309. 2017, 291. 2018, down to 250. That's okay. 2019, back up to 288. We're going to skip 2020. In 2021, he hit 281 off fastballs. Last year, he hit 246 against fastballs with his worst whiff rate ever against them, over 30%. And that coincided with a general swing strike rate against everything of over 14%, which was the worst of his career. That is concerning to me. That sticks out because if he's just getting older, if those knees aren't doing it anymore and he cannot catch up to fastballs, he's going to get destroyed because he's never been that terrific against breaking and off-speed pitches to begin with. Um, I think that combined with the playtime concerns has me worried. But this brings me full circle to what we started with. He is free. And if he does just bounce back, if it was just he's in New York, he's overwhelmed and, and struggled and all that stuff. And now he can just kind of like lock in and and hit the ball and resume where he left his career off at in 2021. Then, yeah, I could see him being a value, obviously, at a buck. Yeah, the thing I will throw out there, you talked about playing time. The thing I'll throw out there from a playing time perspective, two, two things. One, uh, both Aaron Boone and the Yankees hitting coach have said they expect him to bounce back, like big vote of confidence kind of statements and not the like he's our guy like we've heard Boone in the past make these like he's our guy so we're going to run with him type statements that wasn't the statement he made the statement he made was let me see if I can find the exact quote I think you're crazy to not think there's a bounce back in there offensively like Aaron Boone is is showing real confidence in Donaldson so that's one thing that I think works in his favor the other is his percentile last year for outs above average was 90th percentile he is still an elite defensive third baseman he put up like as bad as he was last year he put up a 1.6 f4 season that's a that's a solid season from a guy like in 132 games that's basically a, a solid regular player it's not a star it's not but but it is a guy who is holding his own as a guy who belongs in the lineup he walked enough last year that even with all the other issues, he still had a 97 WRC plus that WRC plus is almost 30 points lower than he's had in any of the previous three seasons. Like it would not take very much for him to bounce back offensively and his defense will give him the leeway to stay in the lineup is basically what I'm, what I'm anticipating. So that that's where I am with Donaldson. I, I'm not like, you know, he's not a guy I'm saying like, you have to draft him. Don't let him like, but especially in a league where you don't have a third baseman you're super confident in, which I think for, at least for me, is a lot of leagues. Like sometimes I've been, I've been targeting third base early because I'm worried about it, but in leagues where that hasn't panned out, Donaldson's a really good guy to grab and, and see what comes up. So enough talking about Josh Donaldson, who I also don't particularly like. So I don't, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about it anymore than we have to. Um, why don't we go? You want, you want to keep talking catchers? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my last catcher here because I, it's going to be really quick. Um, and he, he really fits that description we had at the beginning of the episode pretty well of these players who, you know, why we kind of ignore projections where like 
they're either going to bounce back or or just be awesome and you're going to hold on to them or they're not and you're going to cut them right away. But I brought I'm going to bring up Mitch Garver because number 1 it just seems like I can't quit him ever since that amazing season he had um that was that had to be back before yeah that was in 2019 where he had 31 homers he had a WRC plus of 155 here. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. I I'm not expecting 30 homers again. But sure. in TGFBI, 15-team, two-catcher league, I completely punted catcher. I didn't take my first catcher until I have to pick 350. I wanted to kind of test it out, TGFBI, a free league, and, you know, whatever. But I didn't want to deal with catcher, punt it down the road, and, and let's see what happens. Um, I ended up with two catchers who, starting, who, shocker, I'm, I'm not huge fans of. Uh, Luis Campisano, who I find a little interesting, former top prospect, still really young. I think, could, you know, if something happens to Austin Nola, he could find himself a lot of playing time in a great lineup. And uh, I can't even remember who my other catcher is. It's somebody better or worse than Luis Campisano. It's not somebody worth talking about. But I made sure to stash uh, Mitch Garver because he's already caught two games for the Rangers um, so far this spring, which I think is a promising sign that he won't maintain that util only. If he is util only, then I could absolutely see people being like, nope, uninterested. Uh, But I do think he'll get that catcher eligibility pretty quickly. He'll get that back. Um, The Rangers are an improving lineup. And Mitch Garver has looked pretty good uh if we look at his stats from last year uh there were some things that were reminiscent of that monster 2019 now chad you brought up the point of the rabbit ball which is just the point to make like he's not going to be that player again but in 2021 the strikeout rate was close to 30 percent in 2020 the shortened season i don't even know it was obviously super short for mitch garver he had a 45 percent strikeout rate so like and he was he was hurt if i remember correctly a lot of that season so he has really trailed off since 2019 where he had a 24 percent strikeout rate and an 11 percent walk rate last year that kind of came back that came back a little bit he had a 24.7 percent strikeout rate and at a 10.7 percent walk rate now i do like jonah heim who's in front of him but i don't think jonah heim's gonna like seize the catcher's role so that you know mitch garver never sees the light of day and i do think garver's gonna see a lot of time at DH as well for the Rangers. So long story short, keeper leagues limited value. Uh, so it doesn't really add up a whole lot for, for what we're talking about in terms of keeper leagues and your fan tracks leagues, but for Otten new, where if you're just trying to get by for a season with a $1 catcher, um, I think Mitch Carver could have a little bit of a bounce back. And it goes back to what we were talking about with Nick Fortes. We're like, it doesn't take a lot for a guy to be a top 10 catcher. And there is a path where Mitch Carver becomes a top 10 catcher for 2023. I'm not predicting it, but if I'm using pick 697 or wherever the heck he's going in drafts, then yeah. I, I, I don't mind gambling on Mitch Garver late. No, I don't mind that gamble either. I do think you, you've got to be ready to start others a catcher for, I think, longer than you're assuming. because Oh, for sure. Like right now, they have, if I look at roster resource, they are assuming that Brad Miller is the DH against righties and Garver is the DH against lefties. Now, Garver is also the only player they project on the roster who can catch other than Heim. So they're not expecting like Sam Huff would be the other, the, the other possibility. They do have Sandy Leone in camp as a non-roster invite. So like it is, it is possible that they carry Garver as a DH and someone else as the backup catcher. But I think the more likely scenario is that Garver is the primary second catcher but I still think it could take him the month of April to earn catcher eligibility. And so I, like, I would just be in my mind, if you're going to take him, you have to be ready for the fact that like you won't plug him in as your catcher until May 1st. And 
have a backup plan for what happens if the Rangers announce their roster and Huff or Leone are on the roster and look like they will be the backup catcher and Garver is a pure DH, which I think is a, a real possibility. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, and that again goes back to that, like you're either going to keep this, these players on your roster sure. for like huge chunks of time, or they're just immediate cuts, um, which in a yeah. fab league, uh, there's a, there's a lot more downside in that in a draft and hold for where you could end up basically getting no stats out of these players and, and waste the roster spot. But if you can cut this guy pretty quickly then and, and replace him, I think that's fine. I'm not worried about Brad Miller. So just from a pure yeah. play time, like, like the reason why you roster Brad Miller as a major league baseball team is so that he can face lefties. He hit 217 against lefties last year. So like if Mitch Carver is swinging a good bat and getting on base, he's going to play. And hopefully with those more at bats at, at DH, they're like, all right, we got to get this guy in the lineup and they get him catching more. Maybe he gets that eligibility a little bit quicker, but I think you're right. You're probably, you're probably looking at May 1st. At yeah, best. But I think in terms of that, what could go right, right? That what could go right is he earns catcher eligibility. Like, Heim needs a couple extra days off early in the season, so Garver earns catcher eligibility earlier and hits enough that he becomes their everyday DH. And all of a sudden, you have a guy who is playing, who you can put in your catcher spot, who is playing DH every day, and that's that's very much in the realm of possibility. Uh, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we got one more bat and then some arms to talk about. All right, welcome back. I said we had one more bat to talk about. He's a name that's come up on the show before, but I don't know we've really talked about him in much detail. But I've been targeting him in a lot of leagues. I'm a big fan. So Michael Massey, second baseman for the Royals. He is 23.9% rostered on auto new right now. And I I think, you know, there, there was a tweet a while back from Jeff Zimmerman. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank on exactly what he said. I don't have the tweet in front of me, so you're just going to have to live with that. But there's a tweet from him a while back where he said that Massey's expected home runs at home in Kauffman Stadium was like three last year. At Cincinnati, it was 15. Now, Massey did not exactly play a ton last year. He got 194 plate appearances. So he was saying, like, can you even imagine the hype that there would be for a guy going as late as he's going in drafts who had 15 home runs in less than 200 plate appearances. Like, it'd be through the roof. And the reality is there's reasons to believe that he has that kind of power and that kind of impact. Now, last year, crossed three levels, AA, AAA, MLB. He got, let's see, it was a 200, 350. He got about 600 plate appearances and hit 20 home runs. So it's not like he hit 40, right? But 20 home runs, pretty solid from a second baseman. He did not have a ton of major league time. And so like, he doesn't qualify for like a percentile on Savant for his um, barrel rate or anything like that. His barrel rate is 13%. 13% of, of batted ball events were for barrels. To give a sense of context, last year among qualified hitters, of which there were 252, 13% would have tied him with Willie Adamas and Seth Brown for 26th in baseball. That is 13% barrel rate is a good barrel rate. He gets, he also gets a, a pretty good sweet spot percentage, which means he's, he's teeing up the ball in the right spot of the bat. That one is around 35%. That's more like a top 70, but still pretty good. He gets in, and, he, and his max at EV wasn't huge, but he's getting into his 108.8, but he's getting into 
high exit velocities on a fairly regular basis. And because he uses the sweet spot so often, he's able to, to put up a relatively high barrel rate. He is also helped by the fact that he pulls the ball at a pretty high rate. His pull rate in the majors last year was 52.3%. Triple A, 48.9%. Double A, 47.7%. All of those are good numbers, right? This is a guy who has decent power, hits the ball with the sweet spot of the bat, and can turn on a pitch. Like, those are all the things you're looking for for a power breakout. And... I'm I'm just I'm super intrigued by him. I don't love the home park. I am I am concerned about the impact that that Kaufman will have on him. I do think there's a world where he's good on the road and just can't be used at home because the power just doesn't play there. But right now, roster resource has him penciled in as their starting second baseman. Like you said, he's he's basically free in drafts. You can pick him up super late. He is unrostered in most auto new leagues, and you're talking about a guy who. I think with with a full season, six hundred ish plate appearances, could could hit twenty home runs, and I second base. I'm here for that. I'm I'm super here for that, and that's just talking about the power. He also last year stole sixteen bases and was only caught twice across those three levels. So in your five by five leagues, your leagues where stolen bases matter, you're talking about you know I talked about Bo Naylor. Like the upside here is like he's a twenty twenty threat. Twenty twenty at catcher is. You know, JT Real Muto, top of the draft board territory. At second base, it's not quite that. It's still good. It's still really good. And so I look at, like I said, he's pulling the ball. He's hitting it with the barrel. I I, I like seeing that. And it, it says to me that there may be even another power breakout possible. And so that, that to me, that 2020 is sort of like, this is what he could do with 600 plate appearances. I think there's a 30-20 type season if he takes a step. And thirty twenty. Now he we're, we're talking we're talking yeah. second third rounder. I mean, right. I, I'm with you a hundred percent on Massey. I think he he should be he should be going higher in drafts relative to where he's been going, um, especially in keeper leagues, long term formats where he is so young. He's twenty four years old. Thirteen percent barrel rate that'll play at any position. Um, I mean, sure. that's that's awesome. Uh, I was on fantasy ace ball to break down my uh, podcasters new team. Uh, and Tim was giving me a little trouble there because uh, we told him to cut a, a $3 Massey and just get him back for a buck in his auctions. I, I, don't, I don't think he told me if he actually did or not, but I went and in two different ought new auctions, not just the um, podcasters league, I ended up going $3 on Massey because I wanted to get him that badly. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm in on Massey. I think he's a great late round target. Yeah. A couple other quick notes on him just because sometimes I like to cite people who are smarter than me. Because then it makes me feel like if you, if you don't trust me, you can trust them. Um, Eric Cross, uh, who if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be Eric Cross at Eric Cross 04. He's um, as good a prospect and, and sort of dynasty analyst as there is out there. Uh, tweeted out a couple days ago, three days ago now, Michael Massey hitting 350 with three home runs and two stolen bases this spring. Great value in drafts, great value pick in drafts. And then uh, Chris Clegg, who's been on the show, um, same day, just on, on Thursday in his, he's got this great thing called the dynasty dugout, uh, sub stack he's got set up. It, it, it's well worth checking out. Um, but he wrote up Massey and talked about like, he was a bit of a pop-up prospect. He had, he had better power totals than necessarily the tools suggested, which by the way, to me goes into that pulling the ball 
right? Guys who hit more home runs than their their exit velocity suggests are often guys who pull the ball a lot. Um, Jose Ramirez to me is the poster child for that. So that's the thing. That is not to say Massey is Ramirez. Don't 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 take it the wrong <laughs> way. But um, but he said some of that seems to be changing as Massey's been mashing this spring up to a 350 batting average, um, eleven eighty three OPS, three home runs, two stolen bases. Strong possibility that Massey could develop into a 15-20 home run bat who steals 10 to 15 bases. So he's going with the strong possibility. When I'm saying 20-20, I'm saying maybe less of a strong possibility. And my 30-20 comment was more like a, a dreaming on a breakout kind of thing. But that just gives you a sense of like, there, there's some, you know, there, there's, a, there's a good shot at like a 15-15 type season, a realistic shot at 20-20. So... With yeah. that said, we had one more bat, and then we're going to talk about pitchers. So look at this. I have two pitchers. You have one. So I'm going to talk about one of my pitchers first. I'm just going to go back to back here, and then we'll get back to your guy. Um, Tarek Skubal, fan tracks. Now, when we talked about how at fan tracks, guys are rostered at high rates, right? Like everybody's rostered over 60%. Skubal, his roster rate is 27%. Now, he is hurt. He is hurt with an injury that could be that can linger. There are reasons to be concerned. He's targeting, I think he said June. Maybe that turns into July. Fine. I think people are forgetting just how good he was last year and not choosing to stash him. So last year, 3.52 ERA in 117 two-thirds innings. We did 296 FIP, 340 XFIP. He had his strikeout rate come down. And I think that is, maybe that's concerning people a little bit. But he also brought down his walk rate. He also brought down his hard contact. He also brought down his fly ball rate and drove up his ground ball rate. And in terms of, you know, is there a reason to believe that this is legitimate change, blah, blah, blah. Like the lost strikeouts are not great, but all that other stuff is good. In 2021, he was throwing almost 43% four seam fastballs and other 13% sinkers. He also had a splitter he threw occasionally. So, but... 56, 57% fastballs, mostly that four-seamer. 2022, his most used pitch was his slider at 30.9%, up from 22.8 the previous year. His four-seamer was down to 26.6% instead of 42.8%. His sinker was at 21% instead of 12.9%. He also used his change up about 15% of the time, which is a little bit of an increase. But the, the real mix shift that he did here was he went from being heavy four seamer, good amount of um, slider and sinker to being most more slider than anything else. And a much more even split between his four seamer and his sinker. And now that sinker being used more certainly helps to explain the increase in ground ball rate and the fewer fly balls. The fact that he's got a little bit of a different pitch mix and maybe is less predictable um, may help to explain why he's giving up less hard contact. You can also look at like that slider had a 247 ex-woba in 2021. It went up to 276 in 2022, but other than his, but it, but it was still lower than his, either of his fastballs, right? So he still, he went to the pitch that was getting the best results more often, and it continued to get the best results. So I, it, to me, there's a shift here that is, viable that 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 there's there is good reason to buy into the change he made there is also i think reason to believe that as he adjusts to this pitch mix figures things out a little bit more he can bring those strikeouts back up 
And if he can keep the ground balls high, keep the hard contact low and bring back some of those strikeouts, th- there's, there's huge potential here, right? In terms of that, what could go right. But even if he doesn't do that, I sort of think he can go back and do what he did last year in another half season. And that's awesome in keeper leagues because you can get him super late, stash him cheap, get a good half season out of him and then have him for basically free next year when he, when he should be up for a full season and is valuable this year. And that's again, even if he doesn't take the next step. And I think he could take the next step. Yeah. I like Scooball. I had him in a lot of spots last year. Um, There's definitely a lot of upside there. I, he's, he's kind of weird to me. Like he, he's just so inconsistent. I don't know if he's a tinkerer or, or what you're identifying these changes. And maybe that's ultimately what this was all about. But like, if we look at his basically from April 15th to June 7th, he made 10 starts. Now, granted they were against some pretty poor opponents. It was the pirates, the twins, guardians, guardians, Baltimore, Oakland, he did face Houston, Minnesota again, Colorado at home, and the Royals. So it wasn't the most hard-hitting teams. But here were his earned runs by start during that 10-start like stretch. When you said Guardians, Guardians. It was like... No, like, I, oh, I said it was like, that's like a teams. good team. It was like, team. you know, the Guardians. Guardians are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Guardians and, and Houston in there. But for the most part, I mean, I think we'd okay. agree. That's like a, a pretty easy 10-start stretch. His that earned runs bad. were... We're low. I mean, here, here they are by start uh, in that time period. Zero, zero. Five at Minnesota, fine. Two at Houston. Zero, zero, zero. Three, zero, three. I mean, he looked like a breakout, like a monster. His next, this has to be uh, six starts, uh, four earned runs against Toronto, five against Texas, six against Boston, three in just four and two-thirds innings, against the Giants, five earned runs against the Royals. And then two against the White Sox, and then another four earned run outing against the Royals. And I'm thinking, okay, well, everything he did those first 10 starts is now gone. And then he closes out before his injury. The next three starts at Oakland, zero earned runs. Against the Padres, zero earned runs. Both of those outings, six innings pitched each, and then an outing against Minnesota, again, zero earned runs. So he closed out his season with 17 straight innings pitched of no earned runs. I don't know what the read is on this guy. So I hear the changes and I'm excited about them, but he seems like that could have been a result of an in-season tinkerer or or, or maybe just a soft schedule. So all in all, listing all that out, I guess, is I don't know what to make of Scooball. And you've convinced me maybe I should should be drafting him in a few spots. I gave up on him in another dynasty. Maybe that was a mistake, but he needs to stop tinkering. And I want to see that consistency he had in that uh, somewhat soft schedule for those first 10 outings. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I think, you know, to me, it's just it's it, where he's going. He is worth picking up and stashing and, and the upside. Like, yes, it was up and down, but the sum total of what he did last year was really good. So um, we only got a few minutes left. I know we've been going for a long time here, so I want to try to wrap up quickly. But we got, we got two more pitchers. I think we can cover them each relatively fast. Let's start with you've got a, a teammate of Scoobles that you want to talk about. Yeah, Spencer Turnbull. I'm all in, man. Uh, he's another guy who's kind of free in drafts. I know I'm not the only one who's targeting him late. He was terrific in 2021 before uh, ultimately suffering a, a slight tear in his UCL and having Tommy John surgery. He threw that no hitter. Um, not that that's a reason to draft him. We've seen some funny no hitters in history from different pitchers, oh, but yeah. uh, it was 50 innings of of sub three ERA, sub one WHIP. 
that I, I think people aren't really remembering. And if you're looking in spring, like his, his velo seemed to be back. He's only thrown like four and two thirds, I believe. Velocity seems to be back. And to kind of close him out, I'm just going to read a quote from AJ Hinch. Something to watch for in spring training is that slider. Um, AJ Hinch said, uh, you know, Turnbull was very frustrated with those pitches. He was referencing what Turnbull had said about his slider. Uh, but Hinch said, but I have to keep on, or, or Turnbull said, I should say, I have to keep on throwing them. Just got to get there. I probably could have thrown curveballs in any of those places, and it would have been a much better pitch. But normally, that slider has the late depth. I can usually get a swing and miss there, and those are not well executed. Basically, what he was getting at, I could read the entire quote, is that the slider, at least in Turnbull's eyes and what he's been to- told by his doctors or whoever, the slider is the last thing to come back. And so he feels like he's at a spot where that's the that's the last hurdle. So if we see in spring training that the velocity's still there, he's healthy, and now he's he's whipping off some nice sliders, that means that Spencer Turbo, in his own eyes, is back to where he was in 2021. Yeah. And that was for 50 innings, a sub three ERA, sub one whip. Yeah, and I would I would add like the other thing that that says to me that quote is don't get too caught up in his spring results, right? Because it sounds like he's got situations where he's like the slider is going to get tagged, but I'm throwing it because I got to work on it. And so if I, you know, and, and if that's the case, then yeah, there's situations where he's going to give up runs, give up hits that he otherwise wouldn't. So that's a, that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're looking at what he does in the spring. The other note I would add on Turnbull is for those of you in auto new leagues, where he is again, still relatively low roster percentage, his home run per nine in that 2021 season where he was so good was 0.36. And that is only kind of an outlier for him. He was 0.32 in 2020. He was 0.85 in the rabbit ball year of 2019. Like everybody's giving up home runs left and right. And he was still under a home run per nine. And he was 0.55 in 2018. His career number is 0.63. Like he gets a lot of ground balls. He does not give up a lot of hard contact. So in your four by four leagues, in your Fangraphs points leagues, where home runs are really punished, he's a great example of a guy that you can you can get cheap and and will do some good things for you. So the other pitcher I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to be very very quick on him, um, Ryan Nelson of the Diamondbacks. He is let me see what I had here. He is 28.9 percent rostered in auto new leagues right now. Obviously, like three starts last year, he was great. 18.1 innings, 1.47 ERA. One of the things keeping his roster percentage down is it was a 3.77 FIP, 4.69 XFIP, 4.55 Sierra. Like he didn't quite live up to what, what that ERA, he wasn't as good as what his ERA suggests. Having said that last year, he went 70% fastball. And unlike some other guys, he doesn't really throw multiple fastballs. It was, it it was his four seamer, 70% four seamers. That is a lot of four-seamers. He got really good results in that four-seamers. 217 Woba off that pitch, 244 X Woba, like good results. 92.2% or 92.2 mile per hour exit velocity is a little concerning. And I don't know how much I believe he can continue to throw that fastball that often and get those kind of results. That said, his curveball, which was his second most used pitch at just 13%, had a 158 X Woba against 268 Woba, a little bit of bad luck there. I think, and his slider, by the way, he had to give up a 351 Woba on his slider, but it was just a 320 X Woba. Still not good, but not, not terrible. He's got secondaries, two breakers that he could certainly use more often. He also has a change 
He threw 6.3% of the time. That had a 116 ex-WOBA against, a zero WOBA against. He could probably afford to use that pitch more. If Nelson can trust those secondaries, get them in the zone, be able to throw them for strikes, and, and use them a little bit more, and it looks like they're effective enough that he can, then the fastball could play up even more than it has. And I think something really interesting is at play there. So I, I really like him as a, a flyer. Again, what could go right is he brings his pitch mix in line with what his performance was last year. And yes, the ERA will go up, but the XFIP, the FIP, the Sierra all start to come down and, and the the performance and the peri- like they meet in the middle, right? And if you meet in the middle of one and a half and four and a half, that's, that's three. That's good. We'll take that from a pitcher. So um I, I like the direction that I think he could go. He is a great example of a guy that like, I highly doubt I will be starting him very often early in the season. I, I like, if he's on my auto new roster, he is probably not in my lineup for his first start. I don't know who they're facing. Maybe it's someone terrible. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll eat my words, but I don't think I'm starting him for his first start. I want to see what he can do, but I really like the direction it could go. And if it doesn't, I'll cut him and move on. And you might Any not thoughts need to. On Ryan Nelson? Uh, yeah, I like him too. I think he's the favorite out of that group of three there. Brandon Fott, Dre Jamison, and you know himself, Ryan Nelson, to get that fifth starter's job. Um, you know, Nick talks about this a lot, that often at the beginning of seasons, the fifth starter can get skipped a few times because um, teams just don't have to roll them out with, with days off and stuff like that. That could work out in Ryan Nelson's favor. Um, keep the innings down, uh, avoid the colder weather if they're on the road, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I'm in on him. I know Eno Saris is a is a fan of Ryan Nelson. So if you like him, Eno likes him, I'm in on some Ryan Nelson. Yeah, I would trust Eno over me, but uh, <laughs> no, still. Anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. I think this was hopefully an interesting, informative episode. Went pretty pretty deep on these. Boy, we're going to go through 11 different players. Josh Lowe, Lowe, Garver, Turnbull, Duran, Fortes, Scooball, Naylor, Mead, Massey, Donaldson, and Nelson. Yeah, 11 guys. Hopefully some good analysis in there, something useful. Guys, you can not just pick up late in drafts, but that are available to you now. And I think, you know, maybe not Garver, maybe not Donaldson, but the rest of these guys, in terms of what could go right, is they are still starters for you next season. These are all guys that the costs they're going for right now have real keeper potential. So, Check them out. Pick them up. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week.